Banks, so much for joining us here on Freedom 106.5 FM. Welcome to Human Impact. And we go right now to Dr. Nadira Rambokas and her guest, Dr. Sukdeo. As we have doctors on call, good morning to you. Good morning, Tosca. Good morning, listeners. And we welcome Mr. Sukdeo today. He's actually an optometrist. And I just want to briefly introduce him. He is a director and co-founder of Seaview Emporium Optical, which has been in existence since 2002. Mr. Subdeo has achieved his BSc in optometry with honors from the University of West Indies and has subsequently served as the head optometrist for Seaview Optical, as well as the in-house practitioner for their Princess Town branch. His passion and dedication to the optical field has led him to embark on several collaborative ventures aimed at providing affordable eye care persons of all age. Under his stewardship, sorry, Seaview Optical has headed the Eyes Right project of the Rapid Fire Kids Foundation and within the past 10 years have screened over 10,000 students in schools across South and Central Trinidad, supplying over 1,000 pairs of glasses free for them. Seaview Optical has also partnered with Besides the Food King, First Citizens Bank, Republic Bank and the Rotary Club of Princess Town in furthering the venture. He has also initiated his own charity drive, which aims at examining children under the age of 16 for visual problems and providing glasses at no cost. He is an avid proponent of greater understanding of eye health through education and improving quality of life through vision care. So we welcome Mr. Sophia today. Mr. Sophia. Hi, good morning, doctor, and thank you for welcoming me. And good morning to the listeners of 106.5. So we just want to get into it pretty quickly. How long have you been practicing optometry? So I've been practicing optometry for the past six years. I graduated in 2017 from the University of the West Indies, and I've been in private practice since that time. And what was your motivation for choosing optometry? Was there a particular incident or was there a particular patient or client that you saw that motivated you to enter into this particular field? Well, I myself, I have been wearing glasses since I've been 10 years old. And I, um, I know the difference that wearing glasses makes in my vision. So I embarked on taking optometry just in an effort to help people's vision be improved and also to help people with different conditions of the eye. Um, the optical field actually has been in my blood for even before I did my degree. As part as the as part of the team that created Seaview Optical, I've been involved in that field for the past twenty years, and I've gained quite a lot of knowledge along that way. So, could you explain to us what exactly is optometry? So, optometry is the science of vision and of the eye's ability to see. Um, optometry will delve into not only just the way a person sees, but the way that the eyes work together, different diseases and conditions that may affect the eyes, and the ways in which we treat or deal with them. Right. And how is that different from ophthalmology? So ophthalmology is a specialty um, that's done by doctors that will involve more of the surgical aspect of eye care. Right. 
So patients that have man uh, diseases that need to be managed, such as diabetes or high blood pressure, cancer, things like this, are normally yeah. handed off to ophthalmologists who normally take that level of care to the tertiary level, where it is we, um, we have specialized care afforded to these particular patients. So how often do you think that um, patients should get their eyes checked? And does it depend on their age or the presence of non-communicable diseases? So in general, adults should be tested, at least between the ages of 18 to 60, they should be tested at least once every two years to ensure that their eyes are healthy. But it can depend on different factors, such as the person's health or their age. For new parents, at least, I normally advise them that their babies could have their eyesight checked within the first year of life, and then again, just before they start kindergarten. I generally advise my patients that children under the age of 10 should be tested every year since the eyes are developing a little more rapidly during these ages. So it's uh, a little more important to have closer check of the vision and development during those years. Uh, as we get older, between the ages of 18 to 60, you're less likely to experience sudden vision loss uh, due to issues. So two-year appointments is usually sufficient. Uh, but for patients over the age or nearing the age of 60, they should consider having yearly exams just because of the effects of aging and the general deterioration of the visual faculties as they get older and also with the onset of other medical conditions that can also affect the eyes. Uh, the eyes getting drier, even patients who wear contact lenses. These people may need to be seen either yearly or even more frequently depending on the situation. Um, for non-communicable diseases, those are the ones that will be more of the chronic ones in nature. So we're talking about diabetes, high blood pressure, cardiovascular diseases, asthma, or even cancer. Um, these patients will be need to, will no, most times need to be seen a little more often, um, typically the once a year, and again, you know, if more frequently, if it's demanded by the eye care professional. Right. Thank you. So what are some of the common diseases that you encounter in your practice that affects the eye? And is this also age dependent? So we encounter quite a few uh, eye conditions. Some of them are dependent on the patient's age or if they have any sort of diseases such as diabetes or high blood pressure, where you would find specific changes at the back of the eyes. But the more common issues that we would encounter would be refractive errors, which are the ones that most people are accustomed to hearing about, which would be short-sightedness, long-sightedness, astigmatism. And then as people reach the age of around 40, we also have to deal with presbyopia, which is the loss of near vision around that age. So those are things that are a little more commonly encountered in the practice. But as patients do get older and get closer to the age of 60, they could show signs of uh, age-related issues, right? Because the eyes are generally deteriorating after that age. So you can, sh you can find signs of cataracts, changes related to diabetes, high blood pressure, just aging in general. Okay. These past couple days, a lot of patients have been complaining about the Saharan dust and eye allergies. Do you often encounter that in your practice as well? 
Yes, we do. And um, we have seen a lot more of those cases around the dry season where you find it's a little more dusty, a little more smoky and more hot. So we do see um, a lot of those uh, patients come in with typical symptoms. The eyes are dirty, the eyes are itchy, they're running water, they're red. So yes, that is something that we do see quite often. And can can you explain to us one of the conditions that you just mentioned besides long sightedness and short sightedness? Um, short sighted means basically patients can see close, they can't see far. Long sighted means that patients can see far, they can't see close. Um, what is astigmatism? So astigmatism, uh, while long sightedness and short sightedness has to do with the length of the eye from the front to the back, astigmatism has to do but just that piece that's in front of the colored part of the eye, that's called the cornea. So the cornea should be nice and round and smooth to allow, to allow light to enter the eye without being disturbed. But anytime you have any sort of irregularity of that front surface, then light is either scattered or bent. So it ends up with us seeing things blurry, whether it be it's not as sharp or clear or it has uh, an image behind it. So that astigmatism can be uh, present in the presence together with short-sightedness or long-sightedness, but it's also very common. And could you explain to us what is conjunctivitis? So conjunctivitis is an inflammation of the conjunctiva, all right? It's fairly common. We see it um, quite regularly in practice. And the conjunctiva is the transparent tissue that rests over the white of the eyes. That clear tissue protects, it rests over the white and it protects the white of the eye. So any sort of infection of that tissue is what we term conjunctivitis. Some people uh, normally call it pink eye because of the pinkish or reddish appearance that the eyes might take when they get infected. Right. And, and recently we're seeing a lot of um, conjunctivitis. Um, is this bacterial or viral? And how can we prevent this and treat this? Right. So yes, we did have a, um, a national outbreak of conjunctivitis a couple of months ago. Um, so conjunctivitis, that infection, it can come from two different, uh, two different pathways. We can have an infectious cause or a non-infectious cause. The infectious cause would be would result from exposure to microbes like viruses, bacteria, fungi, that kind of thing, and that is the type that is actually uh, is actually contagious. It's highly contagious. But the non-infectious ones, those are the ones that are caused by typically allergens in the environment. So we're talking about smoke, uh, Sahara dust, pollen, these kinds of things. And, and do we normally give, uh, for instance, like antihistamines? Do we give steroids or uh, it depends on the patient? Yes, it depends on the type of conjunctivitis. Uh, typically with the viral type, um, you would normally see people who are sick, who have a cold or who have a sore throat, or people who've been around persons like that, that they may also contract the virus and end up with a viral conjunctivitis in the eyes. When you have the viral type, that discharge tends to be a little more clear and that one resolves itself in about a week or two. And antibiotic drops generally don't help with this type of infection. The bacterial one, however, that one, the discharge tends to be a little more yellow and sticky. So some people complain 
that their eyes are crusty or sticky in the morning. And this right. one normally goes away within a week, at most two, and using antibiotic eye drops can help with this particular type, uh, uh, mostly with managing symptoms of the infection until it goes away. And um, because, again, these are highly contagious, it's also very important to observe strict hygiene when you have this type of conjunctivitis, the infectious type. So by not sharing towels or changing your bed sheets more regularly, not sharing any personal items like uh, makeup, discarding of any makeup actually has been used during the time, will help to ensure that your eyes won't get reinfected with the, with the uh, with conjunctivitis. And there is also a term that you all um, use called keratitis. Is this different from conjunctivitis? And how is this different and how can it be treated? Yeah, so keratitis is different from conjunctivitis because it involves a different tissue. The clear tissue that rests over the white, that is called the conjunctiva, but that tissue continues over the colored part of the eye. That's the dome-shaped part that we call the cornea. So any infection of the cornea itself is what we call keratitis. So when that part of the eye gets infected, just like conjunctivitis, it, might, it may or may not be associated with an infective agent like a virus or bacteria, or it can also be caused by things in the environment as well. Um, but with, uh, with keratitis, the symptoms tend to be a bit more severe than with conjunctivitis because it happens um, on the light receiving part of the eye and the part of the eye that's actually covered when we blink. So people tend to experience eye pain sometimes when they have keratitis. They typically have redness of the eyes. Sometimes they might have discharge or even difficulty opening and closing the eyes because of pain. So you could experience even blurry vision, sensitivity to light, and feeling like something is in the eye itself. Uh, people who have keratitis um, generally can also have um, underlying medical conditions like herpes or shingles. It can happen, you know, if you have dry eyes, if your eyelids don't function properly, opening or closing, or if you get any kind of trauma to that part of the body. Right. So when you see these array of patients, what do you normally do? You take a history exam and then you examine them under a particular machine called a slip lamp. So could you explain what what exactly the tasks that you do in particular? So as long as we um we see the signs that would relate to either conjunctivitis or keratitis then um, depending on the, the, the etiology, whether it be viral or bacterial, uh, we will see the signs. So we will know exactly how we are treating it. Um, the use of the sit lamp is very important because we get a very magnified view of what's going on to the front. So we can see exactly where that infection is happening and be able to direct that patient to the proper attention that they need. Um, if it is that it's something that we can manage, then we do so if it's something that needs specialist care by an ophthalmologist um, as is required in most cases of keratitis then we always refer out to our colleagues and do you normally stay in the eye with something called fluorescein uh, because yes. of maybe scarring or so that's right so when we have uh when we have those types of infections we can use a dye that's called uh, fluorescein and that dye enables us to 
identify the areas of damage on the front of the eyes. It actually stains the eyes, so we can um, we can actually pinpoint the areas where it's infected. We can actually assess the eyes and how dry they are by using that, that dye as well. So it's a very important tool um, when it comes to assessing, especially uh, keratitis, because those infections normally show up uh, very clearly um, when, when, we are, when we are presented with them. When patients present as well, do we normally check their pressure in their eyes as well? Yes, uh, checking pressures in the eyes is a normal type, normal part of the eye exam, and it's normally done during the screening before the patient sees the optometrist. Right. Okay, we have to take a short commercial break right now, and when we come back, we'll be talking more about eye disorders with Mr. Subdeo. Thank you. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability, the all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. So welcome back Trinidad and Tobago. We're inside the session called Doctors on Call with Dr. Nadira Rambokas and her special guest today. And today they're talking about eye disease, eye care, and eye health. So if you have any questions, we can... Send your questions to 306-1065 and I'll gladly pass them on to Dr. Rambokas. Thank you, Tosca, and thank you to Mr. Subde for taking his time out today. We just recently spoke about conjunctivitis and keratitis, which is different layers of the eye. I just wanted to ask a brief question about women who wear makeup, uh, especially um, eyeliners and mascara, which is along the waterline. Um, and do you recommend normally, uh, say for instance, eye washes that um, at the end of the day, especially if there's a lot of dust or pollen in the air? Oh yes, definitely. So uh, for ladies um, that are using eye makeup especially, um, the quality of what you're using is important because where this makeup is applied along that line, there are normally glands there that store oil. That oil yeah. is responsible for keeping the eyes hydrated. So if the, if the makeup itself is clumpy or if it's sticky and it actually blocks up these glands, then you're going to probably end up with a dry eye issue. Um, you can also end up with particles of that makeup floating around at the front of the eyes, which can also cause problems as well. So. Cleaning the lids out um, after the day of using the makeup is definitely recommended to avoid any blockage of those glands and any infection of the tissues around. Can you also get a, a sty um, or a collision from, from the... These type of procedures that women do all the time? That's right. <laughs> so... The, uh, when these glands get blocked and that oil that's stored inside of them has nowhere to go, uh, it's backed up in the gland and sealed in there. Now, if any bacteria gets in there together with the seal, then you can form a little infection that looks like a little pimple, a little button at the, at the, uh, the eyelid yes. margin itself, right? Yes. And those can happen on the lower lid or on the upper lid, which is a little less frequent but a little more difficult to treat. So the ones that occur on the eyelid themselves, those little pimples that happen there, 
those normally can resolve themselves in a few days, but patients can use uh, a warm compress, which is basically hot water directly over the spot that normally helps to drain or uh, to drain the, the sty itself. Um, but going forward, practicing uh, good eye hygiene and keeping the lids clean is always the best way to avoid uh, ending up with styes. We also have infections that can happen on the upper lids. Um, like I said, those are a little more difficult to treat because they end up going a little more inside the lid and they can actually cause a bump uh, on the upper eyelid. Sometimes we are able to drain it. Uh, sometimes it requires surgery to actually cut and take out. Um, but it's caused basically by the same mechanism, which is a blockage of the glands either on the lower or the upper lid. Thank you. So we talked about um, disorders of the lid. We talked about disorders of the conjunctiva, the protective layer on the outside of the eye. We talked about disorders of the cornea. Um, what about disorders of the lens? What exactly is a cataract and how do patients get these? All right. So a cataract is really just the clouding of the eye's natural lens. Uh, that lens is located just behind the pupil, which is a little hole of the eye, which is what people call the baby of the eye. So just behind that hole, there's a lens that directs all the light all the way down to the back of the eye so we can see. And that lens is uh, normally clear when we're younger. Uh, but when we get older, that lens does tend to become more cloudy. And age is the most uh, significant factor in this. So the older we get, we do expect that changes in the lenses will begin to, to show. Um, but when we do have uh, cataracts uh, and the lens begins to cloud, we tend to have vision problems as that cataract gets big enough. So some people, uh, normal, normal tasks like reading, driving, even watching TV sometimes become very difficult. Some people actually um, refuse to go outside or even stop night driving because of the glare that comes from headlights or streetlights. It's too unbearable because the cataracts causes their vision to be very uncomfortable. Right. And at what point do we say that this has to be treated and how is this normally treated or is it dependent on a person? So um, typically when a cataract um, is formed, um, if it happens through age, it will progress relatively slowly. So in a case like that, we are able to monitor it over a matter of years most times until the cataract becomes big enough that we can remove it. Typically, we would wait until a patient's vision drops under 50% in that particular eye that has a cataract before we consider surgery. Um, but besides um, aging, there are other factors that can also cause um, cataracts to come. We can have trauma, so a hard lash or blow to the head can cause a cataract to come on that side of the head, on that eye. Um, you can also have other diseases like diabetes. You could have high blood pressure also causing them. Too much of exposure to sunlight, spending a lot of time in the sun without any protection for the eyes can also cause cataracts to advance sooner in age. And also, if you're on any type of medications, especially corticosteroids, those type of medications that are used for autoimmune diseases or even asthma, can also increase the rate or the, um, the speed at which cataracts uh, grows. And can 
cataracts be treated surgically? Um, I know there are laser procedures and there is lens replacement. That's um, right. so, which one is recommended? So for cataracts, the number one um, solution is surgery. So as long as that natural lens becomes cloudy enough, we normally surgically remove that lens and we insert an artificial clear lens to restore the patient's vision. That, uh, that surgery itself um, normally takes less than half an hour and it has a very high success rate, about 99%. And patients are normally able to go home the same day. After about 68 weeks of healing, they are normally tested over to ensure that we can uh, refine the vision and then they're good to go. Right. And can cataract return after these lens have been replaced? Yeah. So because uh, because cataracts is um, a general function of aging, what you would find is that even when it is um, an artificial lens is put into a person's eyes, you would find that typically within maybe five to 10 years of that lens being in there, you can also see changes in that lens that can affect vision. And in cases like that, we can use laser to clean up any areas of uh, cloudiness that can assist the patient in seeing clearer with that artificial lens in there. Okay, we, we just have a question from one of our listeners, I think, um, Tosca. Yes, the question is, how is glaucoma diagnosed, especially in the early stages? All right, so um, glaucoma, um, it is a progressive neurodegenerative disease. So what that means is that it progressively damages the optic nerve at the back of the eye. Now, for us to be able to assess or even confirm glaucoma, we typically have to see a few things. When we perform an eye exam, we would check a person's eye pressure. If that eye pressure is too high or you know it's over a certain amount then that's one key for us to start thinking about glaucoma when we look at the back of the eyes and we look at the optic nerve itself that's the nerve that leaves the eye and goes to the brain that nerve can many times show changes as well that um, it looks like a glaucomatous type of nerve um, but those two key things are not the only um, indicators that we would need when we see these things, we normally have to send patients for further testing where they can have pictures of the back of the eyes taken, as well as a visual field test, which is what measures the field of vision, your, your extent of vision. And together with all the information, then we could make a general assessment whether we are dealing with glaucoma or not. So what symptoms do patients who have glaucoma normally experience, or is there none? All right, so in the early stages, um, you would typically have no symptoms. We, we would call, we refer to glaucoma as the silent thief of sight because it has almost no symptoms and patients normally only experience um, some sort of problem with their vision after about 40% of the nerves have actually died. So when you have glaucoma, what's primarily affected is the peripheral vision, so your side vision. If you are looking straight ahead and you extend your arms all the way out, uh, the side of you, and you look straight ahead, you can barely see the ends of your hands because you have about 180 degrees in field of vision. But that's exactly what's affected when you have glaucoma. That pressure 
uh, that acts on the nerve kills off the peripheral vision first. So the first sign that people may encounter, first thing that they will notice that is that they may be bumping into things on the sides of them or they're not seeing things on the corners. But as the disease progresses, not only is the peripheral vision affected, but it actually goes into the central vision. And if not treated, it can lead to tunnel vision or even blindness. So is glaucoma familial as in inherited? Yes, um, it has a very strong genetic component. So if someone in your family has had glaucoma, mommy, daddy, grandma, grandpa, um, it's always important to keep that as part of your medical uh, your medical history because um, you typically find it running in families. And even though glaucoma could happen at any age um, without any um, family history of it, um, once you have had it in your family, it is a good idea to let us know because we can pay specific attention to that particular disease. Right. Uh, what is the normal pressures in the eye? And is it the age dependent as well? So normal pressures in the eyes would be measured in milligrams of mercury. So typically when you do a screening, that eye pressure is usually between 10 to 21. Um, some patients who are older, they can have slightly lower pressures than 10, sometimes eight or nine. And that's just because the fluid in the back of the eye tends to degrade with time. So you find that the pressure tends to drop, but even that is normal for them. The problem is when the pressure goes over 21. And when that happens, the pressure that's generated inside of the eye is actually pushed back onto the optic nerve. And the damage that's done to that nerve is what um, the effects of glaucoma would really be seen as. So do we typically measure not only the pressures in the eye, do we also do visual field testing as well? So visual field testing is a part of a comprehensive eye exam, yes. So it is the, um, the most, uh, most important part of the screening for glaucoma. Because if you look at a patient, a patient can have slightly higher pressures in their eyes, but it could be maybe because their cornea is a little bit thicker than other persons. So that might be um, one of the reasons why the pressure might be higher. It doesn't automatically indicate glaucoma. Sometimes you look in the back of patients' eyes as well, and the eyes may appear to be um, a glaucomatic type of eye. But again, sometimes it's not. Maybe the person has, was born like that, and they never developed that way, and it has nothing to do with disease. So even when we see high blood pressure, sorry, high uh, pressures in the eyes, or even the eyes appearing different, we still have to ensure we perform a visual field test and an OCT, which is a specialized picture of the back of the eyes that goes through all the layers of the eyes to ensure that if there is any sort of uh, any sort of glaucoma effects, we can actually pick it up because those scans will tell us all the information we need to know about the nerve itself. Right. So some of the patients would say that they have open angle, closed angle glaucoma. Mm -hmm. um, what are the differences between these and is it treated differently? Yeah, so um, in the eye, the fluid that um, circulates around the front of the eye, that's called the aqueous humor, that uh, fluid uh, drains through uh, an angle. And the angle is normally located at the corners of the eyes. Anytime you have any sort of blockage of that angle, 
or closure of the angle, the pressure in the eyes can go up. Now, if you do have a um, closed angle diploma, then the main thing to do would be to reopen the, uh, the angle to allow fluid to flow, whether it be through the use of drops or surgery. When you have the open angle glaucoma, the angle is normally open, even though it can be slightly restricted. Um, the flow is just not as good as it should be. So in cases like that, eye drops or even surgery as well could help to increase the flow of that fluid around the eye and therefore reduce the buildup of pressure that will result in damage to the nerve. Right. Okay, thank you, Mr. Sukde. We just have to take a short commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about non-communicable diseases that affect the eye. Sure. The best insight. Instant feedback. Accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. We're back live in studio, Freedom 106.5 FM, Human Impact. And right now we're on Doctors On Call with Dr. Nadira Rambokas and special guest, Mr. Suk Deo. Thank you so much for joining. And before I throw back to you, Dr. Rambokas, I have one question from the board. Uh, I'm wondering if we could really help this person, but the person is asking, if a person goes blind but did not know their eye condition, could you do a test to determine what caused their blindness? Dr. Rambukas? I, I, I guess Mr. Sukde would be most um, qualified because I'm not like um, um, the eye specialist here. <laughs> yes, so um, if a person has gone blind, um, then, uh, you know, they, they must have had some sort of um, they, the information they give us will be vital. Um, we would need to know exactly when vision was lost, whether a person was born without vision whether they were born with vision and then lost the vision during their life. Now, if they had been born with regular vision and then they lost it, um, then we will have to investigate. But um, in finding the, the cause of the blindness, chances of, re of restoring it are sometimes not, um, not the best. But in, in terms of um, telling exactly what has caused the blindness, it can be a wide range of causes. We can look at disease like diabetes or high blood pressure. We could look at trauma. Some people um, have had different types of cancers affect the back of the eye, which will also um, affect the vision. So for us to definitively say um, with someone who has already gone blind, what has caused them to go blind, um, normal questioning and investigation could really bring us to that answer. But the prognosis going forward is the problem because typically if a person has been blind for a long time, the chances of vision being restored are normally not very good. Right. Because it can be anything from uh, okay. uncontrolled coma to nerve damage to a cancer, tumor, something mm -hmm. in the brain as well. That's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I think Tosca has another question. Um, the pros and cons of transition lenses for the elderly and children, do you recommend? Okay, so transitions, um, basically those are lenses that will get dark when exposed to sunlight. Um, the lenses will change um, and get darker the more sunlight is exposed to. So when you're indoors with transition lenses, those lenses will generally be totally clear. Now with um, children, I 
generally do not prescribe transitions for children unless if they have a specific problem with sun, meaning that their eyes run water, get red, itch, or burn in the sun um, as a direct result of being outside. Other than that, um, if they don't have these symptoms, I typically do not prescribe it because the sunlight is actually beneficial for children's eyes, especially with the development of their vision. Um, what we find also with younger children, especially because of the use of um, devices and the increased usage, especially with, um, with COVID, is that there has been an uptick in the prevalence of short-sightedness in children under the age of 10. And when we discover this and we refer them for specialist attention, one of the things that they are directly advised to do is to spend more time outside in the sun because the sun actually has the effect of helping to reverse short-sightedness and stop the advancement of it. Now, it's a different case when you get older. When you get older, the sunlight, that UV light that you've been exposed to your entire uh, life, that tends to have negative effects on the eyes. So as you get older, the sun, um, the sunlight in particular, can cause changes to the lens in the eyes, which can lead to cataracts later on. It can also cause uh, changes to the front of the eye or even the retina to the back. So as you get older and the eyes take more, more beating, you know, it experiences more wear and tear just from, you know, being on the outside, transitions can become more and more important for persons, um, especially job dependent as well. If you do spend a lot of time outside uh, in the sun because of your job, transitions will generally be recommended for you. Great. Um, Mr. Sutte, do persons with non-communicable disease, we talked about different um, diseases that affect different layers of the eye. Um, mm -hmm. Do persons with hypertension and diabetes, do they suffer with diseases where the images form the retina? Uh, yes. One, uh, people have uh, both diabetes and high blood pressure. It does affect the back of the eyes. It affects the retina and the retinal blood vessels that supply it. So when we have changes in these blood vessels and in the tissues at the back of the eyes, you can have vision changes. Um, sometimes not in the early stages, but definitely as the diseases progress, you can find that the vision is definitely affected. And uh, can you say how these changes are different between, say, the more, the more common non-communicable disease like hypertension yeah. and diabetes? Yeah, sure. So when you um, when you do have um, diabetes or high blood pressure in the early stages, if you do have any changes to the retina, that is what we will turn retinopathy. So if there is damage to the retina resulting from diabetes, we call it diabetic retinopathy. And for high blood pressure, we call it hypertensive retinopathy. Now, when we have diabetic retinopathy, which is a little more common, um, you find that the blood vessels in the retina that support the optic nerve as well as the macula, that's the point in the eye that gives us the best and sharpest vision, those vessels, they, they tend to bleed or leak because of the increased amount of sugar that's in the blood. And when you have these changes, you find that um, you can result in a hypoxic environment in the retina, meaning there's not enough oxygen. The tissues are actually starved. And when this happens, the vision can be affected. Sometimes, uh, as a degree, the disease progresses, people can move from having no symptoms into seeing floats, right? Little pieces of thread or dust floating around inside the eyes. They can even uh, notice spots 
in their vision that may not move. Um, it's the same thing even with high blood pressure. So once we note or the patient reports these particular signs, we know that you know disease uh, has been taken a certain tool on the retina. And how can these conditions at the retina be treated? So the retinal uh, changes, uh, because they are mostly to do with the blood vessels at the back, um, treatment is normally aimed at repairing or fixing the issues with these particular vessels. What happens in either case, whether it be diabetes or high blood pressure, um, in one case you might find that the vessels may actually swell and become more leaky, and in the other case they may become more narrowed and more constricted. But in either case, you find that there are weaknesses in the walls of the vessels. And if these vessels are rupture, then we can have uh, we can have problems with vision directly. Now, in cases like this, um, we can employ the use of laser. If there is bleeding, we can use laser to actually uh, seal up any bleeds that are in the back of the eyes. Um, there are also medications that patients can take if there is a blockage of any vessel. We can take uh, we can take medications that will actually clear the blockage and allow the blood to flow normally again. In either case, whether it be diabetes or high blood pressure, the aim of either one would always be to control the underlying condition. So, if it's diabetes, we are looking to advise patients on their diet and their frequency and commitment to taking their medications. Same thing for high blood pressure, taking their medications on time as directed, and also keeping a proper check of both their blood sugar and the high blood pressure. For patients um, who have either disease, we always recommend that they have eye exams every year. So all, diabet all diabetic patients as a rule should be having annual eye exams so that we can track the changes, if any, at the back of the eyes before they result in anything that needs surgical intervention. All right. And in your practice, have you seen any COVID eye disease? Um, so far, the um, COVID-related eye issues that we have encountered would be mostly um, infections of the front of the eye, which would really be conjunctivitis or um, you know uh, issues that are associated with the front. Um, I haven't noticed um, changes um, thus far at the back of the eyes with the retina so far with the disease, but because it is a viral illness, we can find that when that virus is in contact or gets into the eyes, that it can affect the conjunctiva and mimic some of the symptoms of conjunctivitis. All right. So, Mr. Sukdeo, we want to thank you today uh, for being very educational and informative. I want to thank my co-hosts, Tosca, and our listeners out there. And we want to know how can you be reached or contacted? Sure. Um, I am the in-house um, optometrist for the Princestown practice of Seaview Optical, which is located in Princestown Mall. I work from Monday to Saturday from eight to four. So if I'm if I'm if I'm needed, I can be seen at that location. Um, for anyone else who wishes to have an eye exam, um, they can also um, they can call the office. My office, the number is two 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 zero one one zero, to make an appointment. 
or if they do wish to contact the head office to make an appointment at any of our five locations, they can also call that main office at 657-2618. Okay, thank you very much and do have a great day. Same to you. Thanks for having me and have a great and your, your listeners have a great day. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability, the all-new talk radio, Freedom 106.5.